I'm not the greatest sleeper in the world. So when I actually do enter an REM, I am quite annoyed when somebody wakes me up out of it. And this um, time in history, it happened to be my wife. <laughs> I woke up to, ow, oh, you're hurting me. And I was like, what? What? Uh, you're hurting me. I said, what are you talking about? And I don't want to wake up too much because it's a sweet spot. And she says, you're kicking me. Huh? Uh, okay, and, I, and I, I just turn over. Why were you kicking me? I guess I was having, like, I don't want to talk in the middle of the night. But anyway, she goes, uh, why were you kicking me? I said, I was having a bad dream. What were you dreaming about? <laughs> And uh, I don't know what it was, but I just said, well, I was running away from a robber and up, I was going up a ladder and he was grabbing my legs, so I was kicking him off. I was just kicking him off. And then I turned over to fall asleep and then I still couldn't fall asleep because now the bed was shaking because she wouldn't stop laughing, giggling at my expense, right? Dreams. Well, what does that illustration have to do with the sermon today? Very little. Very little. I want to talk about sometimes dreams and what we think about, but not that kind of dream. I want to talk about intentional kingdom focus today. So what gets you dreaming? What do you think of? When you have spare time, where do you catch yourself daydreaming and thinking about? Is it like we're going to look at our value? Is, is there a chance that you find yourself dreaming about your kingdom? Or do you find yourself daydreaming and imagining God's kingdom here on earth? So here's the two things. Uh, helping people reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. One of our values is this. Intentional kingdom focus. So do you find yourself dreaming about God's kingdom or just your own? And number two, are you investing in God's projects with others? Are you investing in God's projects with others? So to start us off, I want to start us off right. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And we are going to pray in the King James, the good old Lord's Prayer. So stand with me. And together we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. King James, two Sundays in a row, you guys. Woo! But I grew up with uh, somewhere in there, it used to say, and forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. And then at the end, it would always say, and the power and the glory forever and ever. Right? That's right. Forever and ever. Yeah, I love it. So what I'm hoping for you to see here is that one haunting statement here, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. I was thinking, I was too lazy to do this, but I was thinking about taking this prayer and making it a prayer that would honor me. So like my kingdom come, my will be done on this earth or in heaven like it is on my earth. Give me this day my daily bread, you know what I'm saying? And it sounds ridiculous, but is there a chance that we function like that? It's all about me. So intentional kingdom focus. If we just take those three words, it's intentional. So you do it purposefully with thought. 
you catch yourself dreaming about it, intention. I will do this, and this is what I'm thinking about. I did it on purpose. Number two, kingdom, his or mine? So am I intentionally thinking about my kingdom or his kingdom? And last one is intentional kingdom focus. You sharpen your pencil and you make it part of your lifestyle. The focus of your life. Last week we did three things in our sermon. We looked at know who you are in Christ, your identity. And secondly, we talked about know the how or in what spirit you actually do serve others. And then the third one is now go do it. Serve. Like get moving. But we love to forget the first two and jump into action because now that we're Christians, we just act. We just do it because there's hopefully a chance that God will love us more. Maybe he'll love me more if I help little old ladies across the street. You know, stuff like that. Or we don't want to take time to really realize who we are in Christ and we don't care too much about the how. So sometimes we even go about evangelism or whatever it might be and we don't care about the how, how we present it. We just say, we're being faithful to the Lord and we're, by golly, I'm going to do it this way. But we learned last week that Jesus does care about the how because the how really reflects how you understand your identity. So if it's just about action, actions are lovely, but if, the, if we really act out of not paying attention to the how and to the who we are, hmm, I'm not sure if that's the point of service. He really does care that you understand your identity and that you understand the how to approach things, not just approaching things, but how you approach them, how you approach service. Amen. Somebody said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, expresses the desire that the acknowledgement of God's reign and accomplishment of his purposes take place in this world, even as they already do in God's throne room. Blomberg goes on and he adds, he says, pretty much when we're praying this, we're saying, act in such a way, O God, or Jesus is saying this in the prayer, act in such a way, O God, that the world sees your greatness and praises you for who you are. Let your kingdom come. Manifest your reign in its fullness. Take control of life. Take control of history in every way. When God's rule is fully established, then the request of the third petition will also be granted. The will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go back to that prayer, and the, first, the whole first part of it is all about God. Let your name be hallowed, or be holy. Let your name be holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. There's not a whole lot of us in there, is there? Once we get that straight, then we go to talk about help me through temptation and my daily bread and things like that. But first we center making him the center of our world, of our thought life of what motivates us. Amen. Now, to our passage. I'm going to read the, the, the last part of our passage and then we'll jump into the narrative a bit. But in verse 25 of Luke chapter 4, John chapter 4, that's right, just messing with you. Thank you for paying attention. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, <laughs> the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, this is the lady talking to Jesus. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Oh, he's using big, chubby, incredible words here. Because when he says, I am, and you'll even notice that it, it says, I am in capitals. Because he's going way back to Deuteronomy and other places, Exodus, where he's actually claiming that I am, I am he, I am God. I was there. 
So he is messing with theology. He's messing with identity. He is messing with the Samaritan woman of who he is. He's revealing who he is. It's incredible stuff. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have the kind of food you know nothing about. I have the kind of food you know nothing about. Did somebody bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing, from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvesters alike. So I just want to pause there for a minute. And it's, these guys are still in this kingdom. They went off to 7-Eleven to get some snacks. And then they bring some beef jerky back to Jesus. And he's going, I'm not really interested. He goes, what? Did somebody else bring him some snacks? What's going on here? No, no, my snacks come from a totally different kingdom. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. So here we see this whole kingdom from heaven touch down on the kingdom of earth and we just see it messing around and I think it still messes with us today. But what's really cool here is he says this um, statement that's really easy to jump over. The harvesters were paid in the fruit and the harvest and all that stuff. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. In history, a planter does a lot of work and doesn't get paid all that terribly much. And the harvester, or the owner, might really reap. Here he is saying, though no matter if you're the planter, if you're the waterer, waterer, I said the same mistake in the first service, waterer, but if you're the planter, the waterer, the weeder, or the harvester, we all join hands together, and we praise God for what he's done. Isn't that cool? So he's not elevating the harvester. But what he is doing is, if I have spoken to you or if I've laid something on your heart, do it. Because it's important, whether it's weeding or whether it's planting, whatever it might be, you are needed in the harvest. And when is the harvest? Mm, we're going to see in a moment. Is a harvest, like, does he kind of go with the timeline that the farmers were saying within four months? You know, me and Joe, we're, we're from farm country. We know when, when you're supposed to plant and weed and harvest and spray and all that stuff. We know there's this time. But Jesus is actually messing with us and saying that actually the harvest is right about now. Look around. And these guys are just looking at their beef jerky because they were hungry. But meanwhile, he's saying, look around right now. And they're in foreign territory. Lady there, and she's a Samaritan, which we're going to talk a bit in a, in a bit about. So we go on in it and he says, you know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. And now you're going to get to gather the harvest. 
I like what one commentator says, because what you see here is the disciples come back to this conversation, and then they're kind of looking awkwardly at what is he doing talking to this lady. But as they get more enamored with what is he eating, she slowly slips out. I'm not sure, but think about this. She isn't highly thought of as a woman, as a Samaritan, and also a woman of reputation. So there, all of a sudden, there's a whole group of men. Think about that for a second. That would be uh, like awkward, intimidating, to say the least. But I like what one commentator says. She slips away with an intoxication of being with Jesus. I like that thought. That she has just spent time with a man that knew about her, that looked her in the eye, that respected her, that listened to her when she was talking, and then also gave you know uh, some teaching to him. And she, you could just see that when he says, I want to bring you water that you'll never thirst again, she's dripping at the mouth ready, which we're going to just see in a bit. But here he is about kingdom work, helping her understand who he is and her need for God in her life. It's kind of interesting, because when you look at opportunity... When you look at kingdom here on earth, I would kind of wrap that with a, ver a verse and a, a thought that we can even find in Ephesians 5. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. So I want to bring that, and hopefully the thought will come out when we see the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, and also about what God or what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 4. But it's interesting because he's messing with this word, I think, of time. You guys, we have a time for everything. We love to be organized. We like to look at the clock. You're thinking about your roast right now, wondering how long he's going to preach and all that other stuff, right? But it's interesting because he messes with it because he says four months more and then the harvest. So he's talking about time again. And when it comes to us as humans, we're always talking about chronos. We're looking at our watches and we're wondering about our next appointment when we got to rush off and do something. We're not very good at being or being in the moment or being intentional for that matter. God uses this incredible word called keros instead of chronos. So we like to talk in minutes and section, sec, seconds and measurable units. But keros is the word used here in Ephesians 5. And it's an opportune time, or it's going toward, or even when it talks about a boat, it's going toward the port. And when you go toward the port, if you know anything about boating, you just can't go whenever you feel like it. If you want a dock, you got to pay attention to a sailboat, you got to pay attention to the winds, you got to take attention to the waves, and you got to pay attention to the tide. You just can't go in whenever you feel like it. And that's pretty much what he's saying. You know, you're enamored with your watches. Okay, it's time to get to the dock. Too bad, so sad. Pay attention to opportunity. Pay attention to opportunity. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing here. Paying attention to opportunity, the opportune moment or the due season. So instead, I think he's kind of admonishing us, instead of being just enamored with your clock, being anxious, oh, I missed an appointment, and rushing about and speeding to your next appointment, he's saying, Hold the bus. But we love to honor busyness, don't we? What do you do for a living? Well, <laughs> you know, and we love, especially us guys, right? But we don't necessarily, we're not very good at honoring isness. We're not really good at honoring presence of just being with each other. 
you might feel useless or you might feel not hardworking. Maybe someone's going to think you're lazy. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about snatching up opportunity in the name of Christ. It's kind of like this. When me and Norm went fishing this last year with some of my kiddos, we caught a cod, and the certain cod that we caught, uh, when it's dead, it floats. So he says, watch this. And then he grabbed it, and then he, we looked around, looked around, all of a sudden in the tallest fur, we saw this beautiful eagle. And the eagle is just looking around. And he says, watch this to me and the kids. And he kind of banged it on the boat. Bang, bang, bang. And he held it up, flapped it in the air, and then he threw it. And then we, see, we just see this eagle take off. But even better, all of a sudden, boom, there's two eagles on it. Now two eagles are fighting over it. But what I'm saying is, we're like to say, time, what time is this? Check your schedule and all that stuff. And an eagle just looks around for opportunity and thinks. He swoops in with that eagle eye. And that's pretty much what he's saying. Pay attention. Look for opportunity. Be ready. That's why it's so important that we know who we are in Christ and we're ready to act and we also pay attention to how we act. We approach it with opportunity like an eagle. So the disciples had gone to get food. They were hungry and they had a physical appetite. And I want to kind of pick this up or actually go back in time to John chapter 4 starting at verse 1. So this is what happens. They're still in the middle of uh, ministry, but it's time to go back to uh, Galilee. And Jesus takes kind of a shortcut and goes through Sychar. And when he goes there, he's going to go through Samaritan territory. Nobody likes the Samaritans because they're a bunch of half-breeds, right? So what would happen is if the Israelites were ever invaded, they would take pockets of people and send some over there, some over there, some over there, some over there. And then after years of this, there'd be interbreeding and you wouldn't have a pure Israelite anymore. And then they would go off and maybe sometimes take on different idols or different religious systems, different ways of doing things, and now it was impure, no good for nothing. So if you really wanted to put somebody down, you'd call them a Samaritan. It's worse than being a dog, you know? So that's what he's dealing with here. He's going through that area. The guys went off to 7-Eleven to get their beef jerky, and now he comes to this, about noontime, he comes to this well. He sits there, and here comes this woman who I guess is coming in the, the heat of the day so that she doesn't have to deal with people, would be my guess. So she comes, and uh, here's a guy here. And what does Jesus do? She says, hey, can I get some water? And she's like, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman, and I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jewish man. Like, what? what are, terribly confused. And, she, and he goes... You know, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for water so you wouldn't have to thirst again. And she's a little offended going, are you trying to tell me that you're better than our ancestor Jacob who actually dug this well and provided for my people? Well, I'm actually telling you that the water I'm talking about would, would blow up like streams of living water bubbling out from over you and you would never have to thirst again. So he keeps coming back to this kingdom principle. And finally, when she half gets it, uh, she goes, give me this water. Like it sounds so, give me this water. And then he goes, just nicely, just says, I tell you what, go get your husband. And she kind of looks down at her feet and just says, I have no husband. And he goes, you're right, because you've had five. 
and the guy you're with right now isn't your husband. So he nails it, and she looks down sheepishly. And then, when you're hit with truth, I kind of, I'm meddling here a bit, but when you're hit with truth, we love to get people off course. So, you know when you're having an argument or a discussion with your wife, and you know she's totally dead right? It's the worst. So you just try and get her off course a bit. Well, last week you said this. And it's perfect. She takes the bait. And you don't have to deal with the right on truth, right? So that's what's happening here is that uh, he says this, says the truth. And she goes, well, you Jews say we have to go worship in Jerusalem. And us Samaritans have been worshiping here. And she, he's, she's trying to get him off course and talk about the wear of religion. And he's just saying, that's not... I'll tell you, a time is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So he just totally gets rid of that argument. She's going religious and places. And he's just saying, a time, again, a time is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And I, it sounds like you're a prophet. And it seems as though there's going to be a time and it'll be made clear to us that when the Messiah comes, she goes. And then he drops the bomb and says, I am he. I am he. Remember what that means. I am God. I am the great I am. I am the Messiah. So here her mind is blown. She's come to get water. She's kind of living in the shadows. Woman of reputation. A lot of failed marriages. A lot of hurt. A lot of pain. And now Jesus just meets her there and comes with this kingdom, heavenly kingdom, and it hits earth. And it's like, what do I do with that? Well, luckily, the, the disciples come and save the day. Right? And what happens is they join. And now, like I said, what that author said, she's intoxicated with this love she's experienced and she goes and tells people in her village. And now, listen to this. This is the continued story coming out of the message. In verse 34, Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around now, wouldn't you say that in about four months, in about four months will be the time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you, open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. He's saying this to the disciples. And who's right in front of them? The Samaritans. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay gathering in his grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester triumphant. That's the truth of the saying. This one sows and that one harvests. I sent you to harvest the field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all these things about me. He knows me inside out, she says. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two more days. Uh, a lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had, say, had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking uh, this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know it for sure. He is 
the Savior of the world. You guys, right there, he is actually showing, we see a narrative of what he wants us to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not paying attention just to your watch, but paying attention to the tide, paying attention to the wind, paying attention for the right time to come in and park your boat. Paying attention to what Blackaby says, Lord, I know you're at work and I want to be a part of it. So it starts in here and it might not respect your watch. The opportunities are here now and that's really what our value is saying, being kingdom focused, intentional kingdom focused. You're ready to be with people. You're ready to act for people. You're ready to serve others in the power of the kingdom of heaven. In the power of the kingdom of heaven. So, we are all part of the kingdom of God and I'm wondering, how are you a part of it? How are you a part of it? Is there a chance that you've been stepping out when it's your turn to water, when it's your turn, time to seed or to plant or to harvest? Well, it's kind of interesting because we're going to see this video in just a second here. But James has been coming here for, uh, did he say two years, I think, something like that? And he's been drumming for us quite a while. And what's really, really neat, I'm not sure if I say it in the video or not, that's what I'll tell you now, is that James grew up in a home that was quite religious, but his mama also loved Jesus, so it became more relational after lots of stuff happened. He was going to White Rock Christian Baptist, and then I think he went to a, a camp in the States, and then he went to Heritage Christian School, went to Regent Christian School, and now he's here. Does that sound like kingdom? Does that sound like a, a community, a kingdom bringing in a, a kid to fruition or to maturity in Christ? Isn't that cool, you guys? So we see these projects that the whole kingdom was a part of. And you're just going to hear what he says, how the Lord has worked in his life. Let's listen together. <laughs> 